Today's scripture reading is Proverbs 9, 1 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women and called from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your ways will be multiplied, and the years will be added to your life. And if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. Morning, everybody. My name's Chris Bennett, and it's my pleasure to serve as the lead pastor of our church. I want to go ahead and jump into uh, this morning's uh, message. Um, We're teaching out of uh, Proverbs chapter 9 today. And for those of you who may be with us for the first time or have missed a couple of weeks, we are in a series on the book of Proverbs. And uh, so in week one, we started off and covered the first five or six verses of Proverbs 1. Last week, uh, Ron Surgeon, I thought, did a masterful job covering the idea of the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. And today, we are going to talk about another subject. But uh, before I do that, uh, I want to mention Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Check this out. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Parents, do you talk to your kids that way? What I do is use the fear and intimidation tactic that if you don't listen to me, then your life will come to an end. And um, actually, only Becky does that. But um, I, uh, I'm joking. I, just so you'll know, I did it at the first service and I got booze when I said that. So, yeah. Um, but uh, usually we don't hear parents talk this way to their children. That in order to entice them to obey their parents, they speak in poetry. I'm not a poet. I'm really far from being a poet. And um, I find this really incredible. I think that a lot of times we elicit uh, our kids' fears in order to create behavioral change. And Solomon, right out of the box, is taking us to school on what it looks like to parent. That maybe rather than steering our kids with shame and intimidation and fear, we should steer them with beauty. With beauty. What I love about this is there's a few things here that I I wanted to just present to you before to lay some foundation. When we read Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, we don't come in contact with a raging, impulsive father. We come in contact with a father who is not emotionally aloof. Rather, we meet a father who loves his son. 
And this loving father entreats his son to listen to his words. Listen to my words, son. He does not wrap his instruction in severity. Rather, he wraps his instruction in tenderness. And I think there's a lot today that we can learn from Solomon just in those two verses about what it looks like to lead our children. Tenderness. Here's what we also find out about Solomon right out of the, out of the blocks. We also meet a man who emotionally grasps for his son. He's grasping for him. There's a sense of desperation when you read the Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters. And remember, like last week, Ron mentioned that the first nine chapters, uh, Solomon is laying groundwork. And in the first nine chapters, he's entreating his son. He's saying to his son, please, 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 please listen to me, my dear son. He's asking his son to bend his heart to adopt a posture where he will listen to the wisdom of his father. You can't run ahead to chapter 10 and start reading there and start reading all those nuggets, all those pithy wise statements that fill up chapters 10 through 31. He knows that before he can tell his son truths to live by, he's first got to entreat his son's heart. Bend your heart around this. Humble yourself and adopt a posture of teachableness and humility. That's what he's telling us here. So he's emotionally grasping for his son. This also tells us about the powerless that we feel when we parent. Total powerlessness. You learn that if you've got kids who are teenagers on up. You realize that they hold the keys to the relationship. And all we can do is beg. <laughs> That's all we can do is beg. Please, 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 please. We're emotionally invested. And they're like, yeah, I've got friends too. And it's hard. And so he knows. He's showing us the powerlessness of leading a young person who's approaching manhood. He shows us that powerlessness. And he's entreating his son. And he's grasping for intimacy with his son. It reminds me of a verse, one of my favorite little phrases in the Psalms. It's Psalm 42.7, deep calls unto deep. And if I'm reading that right, I think what that's saying is something like this. That the magnitude, depth of God desires to rub up against the depth of us. The magnitude, depth of God desires to come in contact with our depths. That God wants something more from us than church attendance and a little Bible reading throughout the week. I know we always say that about God. Like, I want more from God. And God's saying, yeah, me too. I want more from you. I want to know you in a way that I'm not sure you're going to feel safe. It's going to feel risky. But I want to know you that way. You get that sense when you read Solomon's words. I want to connect with my boy in a way that is profound profound we meet a father who also longs that his son be dazzled by righteousness and truth 
dazzled by it. We don't hear him saying, you better listen to me, son. I've lived a lot longer than you have. And I've learned a lot more than you have. And there's a lot that you, there, I, I know more than you will ever know about life. And you need to listen to me and do what I say because that's why, that's what I said. We hear a man who is telling his son, I don't want you just to stay away from darkness. I don't want you just not to flirt with darkness. But I want you to taste of the beauty of God that I've come to know. I want you to taste that. This is really big. Right out of the blocks, we can get all that from two verses in Proverbs 1. And so, implied in these verses is a couple of truths that I want to give you before we launch into the message fully. At least a couple of truths. There's probably more if if we were to look at it together. But here's the first one. We need to feel truth. We need to feel it. The reason he's using poetry is because he wants to elicit his son's emotions. He wants him to feel it. We need to feel truth. Because if we're going to be moved by truth, we've got to feel it. We've got to feel it. And the second one is this, and and likewise, truth connects with our hearts when it combusts in our hearts. Truth connects with our hearts when it combusts in our hearts. That sounds good, but like, what, what do you do with that? Well, we go back to the beginning of Proverbs 1 where he said that part of the reason why he wrote these Proverbs was so that his son could understand a riddle. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, why talk in riddles? Why not just give it to me straight? Because usually when truth is so obvious, we check out and move on. When we are having to chew on a riddle, when we're having to look at poetry and figure out what the writer means by that, we're chewing on it and we have more of a chance to internalize that truth and so that truth becomes part of us and moves into the behavior realm. We need to chew on it. Our, the world that we live in where we can just Google knowledge It's undermining our ability to chew, to process, to mull over something so that it becomes, it takes up residence inside of us. This is so important. That's how it combusts in our hearts. It won't combust in your heart if the only place that truth nugget goes is a little note or a document inside of your phone that you'll never open again. It's got to be more than a scribble on the back of a bulletin that you're going to leave in the back of your car for the next three months. It's got to be more than that. We've got to chew on it. And so what does Solomon do to his, um, possibly his prepubescent son? What does he do? In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, he presents to his son two women. Two women. Lady Wisdom and the Forbidden Woman, or the Woman Folly. Lady Wisdom and the Woman Folly. Why would he do that? Why would he use women to try to bring about a life of wisdom 
in his young son who's approaching manhood. Maybe it's because he wants to meet his son in that part of his heart where he is feeling the most right now. Maybe. I'm not suggesting that he's appealing to his son's youthful lusts. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I am suggesting, though, that Solomon is exploiting his son's strongest passion before it's impaired by the world. Before his sexuality is undermined by the darkness in our society, he appeals to that part of him that is beautiful and is a gift from God. And he uses those passions to help him feel in a profound way for truth and wise living. Because let's be honest, if this was a book called Wise Living, we would be yawning through it. But he does something else. He stimulates his son's mind and his heart and his passions. He sets the table so that his son will come and feast with him in, light, in living and wisdom. I think that's really big. And so we meet Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Verse 20 and 21. Check this out. Wisdom, he says, cries aloud in the street. Notice that wisdom is not just an abstract idea. Right? Actually, it is an abstract idea here, but it's not just a flat idea. It's not just data or facts. He gives wisdom a personality. He gives wisdom a heart. Why? Because as we study wisdom, we are studying not just data or information. We're interacting with part of the traits and attributes of God himself. And he says, wisdom, lady wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So I want to pull three ideas out of that, those two verses really quick before we move on. Okay? Three ideas. Okay? Okay? Okay. I've got like two family members nodding at me. So that's great. Progress. So, um, so the first is this. Wisdom is urgent. She's, she's urgent. And when we say wisdom is urgent... We're saying that God is urgent. What is the urgency? Think of the picture that we're being given. She's in the streets. She's in the crosswalk. She's at the city gates. The city gates were a place where people talked and got together and experienced community discourse. The city gates is where you would assemble a military to defend the gates. The city gates was the, were the entrance into the city. The city gates were the ancient wall called Facebook. That's where the city gate was. That's where people got together. That's where people hung out. That's where people partied and celebrated. That's where people talked. That's where people conspired. That's where people had courts of law to adjudicate matters in society. That's where she is. She's in the middle of the routine of life. And while we're all milling around, oblivious to the threats around us, Wisdom, Lady Wisdom is saying, Hey, listen to me. You think everything's good, but it's not. 
Your hearts are being impaired right now. You're being shaped, misshapen by culture right now. Please hear me. And the idea is is that many are like, ah, lunatic. But then there are the wise who are drawn in by her words. They listen. She's urgent. She wakes us up from our stupor. Why? Because God loves us. He cares about us. He cares about us. Here's a second observation. Lady Wisdom's unbiased. Doesn't matter what street you live on, what zip code you live in. It doesn't matter what skin color you've got. Doesn't matter what socioeconomic background, what ethnic group. Doesn't matter any of that stuff. What your political party affiliation is. She says, if anybody will listen to me, then come on. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I care about you that much. I just want to be with you and shower my wisdom in your life. I want to give you that. And here's the third thing. She is our most vital organ. We cannot live without her. We cannot live without her. What does this tell us? She doesn't appear in someone's, quote, prayer closet or while they're on their knees in private. She is portrayed as coming to us in the midst of life's complexities and routine. She comes to us. She's not a private practice. It's not about making wise decisions. We talked about that in week one. Wisdom is not only about making wise decisions in your life. Proverbs chapter one tells us that the reason that we grow in wisdom is so that we will make wise decisions but also so that we will spread justice and equity. A lot of people miss that. Why do we say that? Because in Proverbs 3, the scripture tells us that God created the world by his wisdom. He created it. He created us to carry on his wise actions in creation. So the mandate on all humanity to bring about flourishing to all cultures, all ethnic groups, all societies, all nations, the mandate for us to bring about flourishing in that is to live by wisdom. So wisdom is not just a private practice. Wisdom is about pressing the flourishing beauty of God in every sphere of society. Wisdom. You are to do your job in wisdom. What is wisdom? It's not just keeping your nose clean and making it to five o'clock so you can clock out. Wisdom is bringing flourishing to your job no matter what it is. Wisdom is bringing flourishing to your family life. Wisdom is bringing flourishing to your neighborhood. Wisdom is bringing flourishing to your own heart. That's wisdom. And she does this. She is our most vital organ. She's our most vital organ. She gets into the weeds of life with us. And she's got something to say about every single complexity in life we could possibly imagine. And the ones we can't. There is no circumstance in our lives that Jesus is going to go, whoa, I've never seen that one. That's, that's, man, I don't know what to do about this. Jesus has all wisdom for all time, for every circumstance. 
And he's calling us through Lady Wisdom. Come to me. Feast with me. Be with me. God was always, God's ways always work and are always right. So that's where we meet wisdom, Lady Wisdom in chapter 1. Then we meet Lady Wisdom in chapters 8 and 9. Check this out. 8 and 9. In chapter 8, and I'm not going to talk through chapter 8 right now, but I will say this. Lady Wisdom in chapter 8 is, takes on a new dimension of beauty. Because it's in chapter 8 that the writer zooms in on the life, the heart of Lady Wisdom. And he begins to show us something about her that has had theologians for centuries scratching their heads. What is he doing here in, in Proverbs chapter 8? Because wisdom goes from being this abstraction to having her own personality, her own life, it seems like. She almost becomes a person. And there have been people who have thought, hmm, I wonder if what Solomon is doing here is giving us a picture of the coming Messiah down the road. Wisdom and lady wisdom personifies that part of his nature. It's incredible when you read Proverbs chapter 8. But then we move to Proverbs chapter 9. Notice I've skipped Proverbs 2 through 7. Just hold on to that. I've skipped Proverbs 2 through 7. In chapter 9 now, we meet Lady Wisdom again. And this time, Lady Wisdom is contrasted with the woman folly. you got Lady Wisdom, woman folly. There's a big difference between the two. So we're going to jump in to Proverbs chapter 8. And if you hang on with me, and adopt a wise posture rather than making me entertain you, something really sweet could happen in your heart. That's all I've got. Um, so, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. Notice this past tense here. Now, this is some poetry, and I'm terrible at poetry. I remember looking at T.S. Eliot thinking, is that Japanese? Am I reading English here? What is this? I'm terrible at poetry. Um, so, but I love the wisdom poetry in the book of Proverbs because it so connects in a real and living way with life, the way we're living it right now. So, wisdom has built her house. Notice it's past tense. Wisdom came before us. So wisdom knows more than us. Not only has she built her house, but she has hewn. I like that word hewn. I'm going to start using that. I have hewn a sermon this week. She has hewn her seven pillars. She's hewn seven pillars. What does that tell you about wisdom's house? Anybody? What? Yeah, it tells you it's got seven pillars, but like what else? What does it tell you about that? Um, that was really insightful. What? It's, it's detailed. What else? It took work. It's strong. It's strong. It's strong. Those are all insightful answers, all of them, even the seven pillars one. Uh, it, it's, it's strong. Wisdom's house is strong. Wisdom's house isn't going anywhere. Wisdom's house isn't going to be blown around by a storm. Wisdom's house will not be shaken. Wisdom's house is perfect. Wisdom's house is perfect. And she, Lady Wisdom, has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Man, she's getting ready for a holiday or something. I was thinking about Thanksgiving yesterday. Y'all think about Thanksgiving yet? 
I'm, I can already taste the pecan pie. I can already taste it. Oh, it's glorious. I can taste it right now. Um, and that was breakfast. So she has already, she slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. And the picture that you begin to get, I think, the one that I get at least, is a woman of quality. High class. A woman who belongs in that house. She is an established woman. An industrious woman. I find it interesting that the book of Proverbs ends with talk of a beautiful woman. The woman that we should find men as we look for our wives. Um, And I think that can translate also into looking for a spouse for every one of us. Attributes and qualities that are beautiful and glorious. There's a lot of female talk in the book of Proverbs. I love that. It's awesome. Um, But she sent out the girls that work with her, her servant girls or her daughters, whoever they are. She sends them out into into the marketplace and they're all yelling these words. Whoever is simple. Would you respond to that? Oh, yes. Did you call me? Whoever's simple. Whoever's simple, let them turn here. Whoever lacks sense, what? Would that get your attention or would you be like? Whoever lacks sense, like who who lacks sense in here? Because those are the only people who get to go to wisdom's house. Do you have the humility to do life with wisdom? Are you willing to make yourself small so that Jesus can add to your stature? Are you willing to be a fool to be made wise? Or are we too concerned about our reputations, our image? She says, whoever's simple, I mean, this right here appeals to a humility that few people have. This is why it says that Proverbs 1, let those who are wise increase in wisdom. You've got to have a wise and humble posture if you're going to grow in the wisdom of God. You can't already know. You know, like the favorite thing that our kids always say, I know. Like, if you tell me I know again, I'm going to drive my car through the garage wall and run over the cat. I can't take it when you say I know. Um, I quit doing that kind of thing. Uh, So she says, whoever's simple, let him turn here. To him who likes sense, she says, come Eat of my bread, drink of my wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Live and walk in the way of insight. If you are going to live, you've got to be humble. If you're going to experience life, you've got to adopt a posture of teachableness. You can't be that person I know. I know, 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 I know. You can't be that person. People like that don't grow. They don't. And then you skip down to verse 13, we meet the woman Folly, who competes with Lady Wisdom. She competes with her. And we all know that Folly competes with Wisdom because that's basically our lives in a nutshell. Be wise or be a fool. Use words that are measured or just blast and rant. Be a person who calculates your words and thinks about the impact they might have on others or... I don't need them, whatever. I'm going to say what's in my mind. 
Be a person who lives by impulse or be a person who knows what it looks like to live by restraint. Wisdom and folly. And this is what folly looks like. It says this, the woman folly is loud. She's loud. I mean, this is, a, this is a visceral picture we're being given here. She's loud. Now, Lady Wisdom's loud too. But when she's loud, she's going, hey, I love you. I want you to come to my house. I want to show you the way of life. I see where you are and your path is dangerous. Folly, she's just loud. She's just noisy. She covers up all that ambient noise with just all her volume. She's irritating. This is the idea we're getting here. It says this, she is seductive and knows nothing. Woo, those are charitable words. She is seductive and knows nothing. Now, when we talk about Lady Wisdom, we're talking about who? Starts with a G, sounds like odd. Anybody? God, very good, very good. When we're talking about the woman folly, who are we talking about? Nope, not the devil. Us. The stupidity that we were born with. The dumbness that we all carry. If you're a dummy like me, raise your hand. Keep it up. Raise it like you just don't care. Come on, just do it. There you go. We all have this. All of us do. I know there's a lot of peer pressure. It was also really safe to admit you were dumb. Uh, but we're, we're all just a room of dummies. And it says she's seductive and she knows nothing. And the idea that he's going for here is something that's really um, scandalous. This is a picture of a prostitute. It's a picture of a harlot. Of a loose woman competing with the picture and the beauty of wisdom. This is, these are, this is our life. She sits at the door of her house. It's the picture of a prostitute. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. That's not her house. She doesn't belong there. When we talk about the highest place of a town, in that ancient culture, the highest place of the town was where you worshipped. It was the temple or some sort of shrine, even in, even in, in civilizations that were not Jewish. The highest place was the shrine, the place of worship. It was the temple. Wisdom is saying, my house is the temple. Folly is saying, I've got a place where I want you to come and worship too. And it's seductive. And it is alluring. It is attractive. It is mesmerizing. And if you're not careful, I will have my claws sunk into you. She's calling those who pass by who are going straight on their way, who had no intention of going into her house. But because they don't listen to Lady Wisdom's voice, they're sitting ducks for folly, for empty-headedness, for stupidity, for terrible decisions. Because they think everything's fine, things are good, bills are paid, marriage seems to be okay, Burning through Netflix every night. I mean, things are good. Um, everything's fine. And she says, the people who are straight on their way, those are the people I'm after. People who are oblivious. She's head turning. She's beautiful. He makes no bones about it here. He's telling his son, folly is lovely. 
Folly is beautiful. Maybe in today's vernacular, he might say, son, folly's hot. And she's got, she's after you. She is after you. She wants to lure you. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. A euphemism for sexual immorality. But he doesn't know. Here's what he doesn't know. Because he's just minding his own business, walking along. He doesn't listen to Lady Wisdom. He's not looking to get in trouble, but here's what he doesn't know. Her beauty snaps his head. He finds himself in her house, and what does her house look like? The dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which is the grave. Her house is the grave. Now, those are powerful and profound images. What's all this about? That's great, but can you give me some like information in my life that relates to me? Yes, but before I could do that, I've got to tell you that the things that Solomon is telling us and that we parents should be entreating our kids away from, we should be able to paint and we should be painting a picture of the depravity and the darkness that will kill them and destroy them and will kill and destroy us if we follow the lure of Lady Folly, of the one folly. So, let's make this relevant to our lives. I want to put up a slide. I don't have time to go into a lot of this, but this is something I put together to help you look at the first nine chapters of Proverbs. This is huge. Now, after first service, I had a lot of people say, dude, I will never look at Proverbs the same. I'm hoping that you will all feel that. Dude, I will never look at Proverbs the same. So I want you to see something here. We meet Lady Wisdom in chapter 1. We also meet Lady Wisdom in chapters 8 and 9. Keep in mind that Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 is the introduction to Proverbs. Lady Wisdom is intended to frame a wise life. So when we talk about Lady Wisdom, who is Lady Wisdom? What is she like? When she says, come eat at my table. When she says, come to me when she's walking in the streets. What is she inviting us to do? That's what chapters 2 through 7 explain. Am I making sense? Are y'all sure? Am I making sense? Ian, is this... Clarence, are we good? Colin? You look confused. Are you good? Okay. No, you're just sleepy. Sorry. I'm teasing you, man. I love you. I'm sorry. Uh, so... Um, so, that, so Lady Wisdom frames chapters 2 through 7. Now here's what we learn in chapters 2 through 7, but first beginning with one. He gives us words on friendship and our life alliances. And he says, be careful. So when Lady Wisdom invites us to her table, the first thing she tells us is, here's what I mean when I say, my table. Be wary about who you lock arms with in life. Be wary. Now, I'm not talking about not reaching out to people who don't know Jesus, because I, I think that if we have non-believing people in our lives, and we all should, those people should be invited to sit at our dinner table and be our friends and enjoy our company, and we enjoy them, and we get to know one another, and hopefully, by our lives, 
they are drawn into Jesus and Jesus is compelling to them. That's not what Proverbs 1 is talking about. Proverbs 1, when she warns us about the alliances and the friendships we make, she's talking about people who have psychological leverage over our souls. People who can control us. People who, by their very mood, cause us to feel joy or terror. People who can manipulate us. People whose influential power over our lives is such that we adopt our behavior to them. She says, be careful about those kinds of relationships. Be careful. And then she moves on to chapter 2. And she says, here's what wisdom's gift is. Discretion. Discretion. Anybody pray that lately? God, please, Jesus, give me discretion. Give me caution. Give me discernment. Jesus, please, 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 please. When's the last? Do we really pray that? But here's the problem. You go back to chapter 1, and here's something that wisdom says. She says, because you didn't listen to me, when the day of trouble comes and you cry out to me, I'm going to laugh at you. Man, that's harsh. If you reject wisdom, and then when you finally need me, you know, go to, you know, you got uh, prison faith. When you finally need me, I'm not going to respond to you because you never listened in the first place. So wisdom, the whole, the gift of wisdom is discretion. Rather than praying for a get out of jail card free because you made a really, really bad mistake that you know you shouldn't have made, and at times we do that. We're in grace. I get it. We're going to mess up at times. But generally speaking, guys, we must adopt the posture of humbling ourselves under wisdom. How do we know we've humbled ourselves under wisdom? I think the major way that we can know that we are really clinging to wisdom and grasping for wisdom is this. Do we really listen and take seriously the words of wise people in our lives? Do we really take seriously the wise words of people in our lives? It's easy to make claims. I love everybody. Really? How do you treat people who don't share your political persuasion? What's that look like? What about people of the opposite sex? Do you objectify them? Do you find excuses to rationalize why you can mistreat someone? Don't tell me you love somebody. You know that you are growing in wisdom if you are taking seriously the wise words of people around you. If you pay attention, like real attention to that. So that's what we meet in chapter 2. In chapter 3, she gives us general wisdom practices. Check this out. When she's thinking, she says, I want to give you some wisdom practices in chapter 3. And these aren't just like shotgunning some ideas and thoughts. These aren't just random. She's saying this. I want to get you moving in the right direction. So here are some core wisdom practices that you need to start working on. And this is what she says. Check this out. She says, be obedient. Now he's talking to his son. So his son needs to be obedient to him. But we all have to learn submission. In the workplace, in our marriages, one to another. We've all got to learn obedience. It's being teachable. It's being humble. She says, be obedient. Here's another basic wisdom practice you need to work on. Cultivate a faithful heart. 
Be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to God. Then here's another one. Trust in God. You live in a world where trust at times seems unthinkable. It seems illogical. Especially our world where we think we've got all the power to make things right. We can fix things. She says, trust God. These are some basic practices that you need. Obedience, a faithful heart, trust in God. She says, cling to humility. Be humble. Be humble. Lower yourself. Don't be the I know, I know, I know, I know, I know person. And she says this. Here's another big practice to get you started in the life of wisdom. Honor God with your assets and your money. If you want to live, start living a wise life. Honor God with your assets and your money. We'll talk later on another week at what that means. Also, she says, be eager to accept discipline and a rebuke. Be eager. This is something we all say too. Well, somebody speaks the truth to me. I'll listen to it, really. Who in your life have you verbally given permission to to say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Who have you given permission to to say that to you? Does somebody in your life feel safe to say, hey, I want to talk to you about this because this bothers me and I think you really need to think twice about this behavior or this life decision or whatever, this attitude? Or are people afraid to talk to, it, talk to you about issues in your life? They're walking on eggshells because you rage. Do you really have people in your life? And we should be asking ourselves as husbands and wives. Husbands, do your wi- does your wife have the ability to speak into your life? I know this is hard, and this may be emotional for some of you. I know. I know I'm, I'm walking on eggshells myself here. But there's an easy way to get there. It's by, I hate saying this because this has been so overdone in church and it's bad, but I think it's just true. I think we just need to man up and say, honey, I know I've got bigger biceps than you, but I am terrified for you to speak into my life. And I don't know why, but I need you because that's why God put you in my life. It's hard. I've been there. You can ask her about that. And wives, we need to say the same thing to our husbands. Will you tenderly speak into my life? I'll listen to you if you just quit yelling at me. But will you tenderly speak into my life? I want to hear you. I want to grow in God. I want to be a wise person. And then what about your friends? Every time, I, every time I do premarital counseling with somebody, I tell them, you need to make sure that everybody who is standing in your wedding understands that they're not there just to be eye candy in your wedding. The reason you have witnesses and people in your wedding party is because they are responsible to hold you accountable to the vows that you're making to one another. And you need to tell them that. They're not there just to get drunk and party for one weekend. They're there to be with you as holy brothers and sisters who can hold you accountable to follow Jesus and honor your spouse. So she goes through all these things, and then through the rest of these chapters, she takes us through what it looks like to have true success. And she doesn't say true success is having a killer career, an amazing paycheck, accumulated wealth. She doesn't say that. She says true success is attaining much wisdom. That's what true success is. True success. 
She, in chapter 5, she says, here's what fidelity and marriage looks like. This is what wisdom says about that. In chapter 6, she gives us warnings about living in folly, like not working hard, not saving money, being indebted up to our eyeballs. She tells us all of these wisdom, wisdom statements. Why? Because she wants to control our money? No, because she loves us. God loves us. Would you say God loves me? God loves me. And then in chapter 7, we have this picture of Solomon. It's though as he's, he's looking out his window, it says he looks at the lattice work down on what's going on in the city around him. It's like as, as, I may be off on this, I don't think I am, but it's as though he's zooming out and giving us a bird's eye view of how broken society is. And he begins to comment particularly on a sex-saturated society and how his son can live a wise life in that context. And that's especially appropriate for for men. Women as well, but especially for men. When you consider the epidemic pornography addiction rates in the church. Epidemic. He teaches us how to live wisely. Why does he do all this in closing? Why does he go to these lengths? Why doesn't he just say, son, don't be in debt. Um, Marry a good woman. Don't sleep around. Save your money. Why doesn't he just say that? Because he knows something already about life. That the woman folly is sensational. She is beautiful. She is irresistible. She's addictive. And if you're not ready to resist her, you are going to be totally taken to the cleaners by her. And you're going to find yourself face down in her house, which is the grave. And he says, son, I really want you to understand something about Lady Wisdom. Because we all think Lady Wisdom is sort of like, uh, wisdom, big whoop. And he says, Lady Wisdom is life. She's beauty. Don't you think for one second that humility is ridiculous. Humility is glorious. Humility is what will revive your wife's heart in your marriage for you. Humility is what will bring rich, rich intimacy to your friendships. Humility is a simple kindness that you can give to the people in our world, the faceless, nameless people who check you out at grocery stores, who change your oil, who interact with you in different places, your waiters and your waitresses. And humility is a gift that you can give them to bring about flourishing in our world, in God's world. Humility. I'm trying to make a compelling case why we should all be greedy for wisdom, like Solomon says. Be greedy for it. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your mercy. Oh God, we are all so broken. We have been ensnared and we have been tricked by the woman folly who seductively pursues us and makes promises to us that she can't keep. And she takes our life from us.
And God, I know that there are people that are here today who feel vividly that that is true. And there are some of us who may not feel that so vividly. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom to pursue wisdom. The understanding to get understanding. The discretion to grow in discretion. The knowledge to get knowledge. And what we're really saying when it's all said and done is, Jesus, we want your life, your ways, your ways of thinking, your view of this world. Help us, Jesus. In your name. Amen.